Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 125 for January 3rd, 2008, Symmetric Ciphers. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site, looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. And by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. This is Security Now, and here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Ready for a new year of security, <laughs> Steve Gibson. Happy New Year, Steve. Hey, Leo. Happy New Year to you. And we're going to kick off the new year of of security now with a, I think, I'm, well, I'm really excited about this. I've, I've been doing extra research and getting my notes together, and, and I'm going to tackle something that I think people are really going to like. Uh, and it, it comes from really that bungling attempt I made a couple weeks ago when, well, it was the issue of double encryption. This, this, the question we answered several Q and A's ago where some guy said, Hey, you know, um, what if I encrypt something with one key then I encrypt it again with another key? Isn't that like much better than encrypting it just once? And I absolutely know that it is. and I know why it is. And I realized that in the several years intervening from the time I first talked about symmetric, symmetric cryptography and symmetric ciphers, I've written a bunch. I mean, I've implemented Rindal, which is, you know, the AES standard um, in assembly language. I know exactly how it works. And, and, and then when I was trying to explain subsequently um, in the next Q&A, why that was the case. I got into all this, you know, two to the power of 128 factorial stuff and everyone's eyes crossed yeah. and you were, you were saying, uh, okay, Steve. Uh, okay. <laughs> we just take so, it. We'll take your word for it, Steve. <laughs> so it, first of all, it bugged me that, well, and actually people didn't know that you and I were under time pressure for that too. I mean, we, we, you, your schedule has been packed here toward the end of last year. And so I was feeling like, Oh, I can't, I can't really just like stop and, and really explain this. So no, we've done, so, I think three or four shows in, you know, in a, in a couple of days. So yeah, That's we actually, we did five shows in eight days. Jeez. Because including this two, one. Yeah. Two of the, yeah. Two of the prior, two of the prior week, two yesterday, and then one today. So, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, been, Steve, but you get six <laughs> weeks or five or something off. You get some time <laughs> off anyway. Exactly. I'm going to forget the name of our podcast yeah. by the, by, by next time. And, and, and by the way, I, I want everybody to know, I said to Steve, Oh, good. We don't have to do any shows. We're going to take a couple of weeks off. The whole network's going to shut down for December. And he said, over my dead body, no way. I want to catch up with Twit. And by and you have. Congratulations. We've passed up Twit finally. I'll never catch up with the Gizwiz because you, you spit no. those things out one a day. Yeah. So. We even took a week off with the Gizwiz and it's still like... We're close to episode five hundred. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just not going to go. Don't, for that don't worry about that. But for your, <laughs> but for the for the weekly shows, you are now number one for the once a week shows. Yay! Yeah. I like number one. Number one's my favorite number. So, um, anyway, the the the, the I don't know what exactly are we going to call this uh, anatomy of a symmetric cipher yeah, or just symmetric, symmetric ciphers? ciphers I've I think known people and are loved. very interested. First of all. Uh, we're going to get into this in detail in, in, yep. in just a second, but first, can you kind of distinguish what a symmetric cipher is? What, what is it we're going to be talking about? I mean, I know what ciphers are codes, and yes, we use encryption are, all the time. Right. And the reason, okay, there are a couple reasons that symmetric ciphers are cool and powerful and neat. Um, first of all, symmetric ciphers are the workhorse of encryption. Um, that's the symmetric ciphers do all of the heavy lifting. They are the sort of the bulk encryption technology, which fundamentally protects everything. That is, for example, we've talked about 
um, asymmetric ciphers, which means you have one key to encrypt and one key to decrypt, and those keys are different. Well, those are cool because that's where you get so-called public key encryption. That is to say where one of those keys might be kept secret. doesn't have to be, but typically it is. So the idea being you can publish the the one of the keys which could be used to encrypt the contents and you keep the other key private well only the matching key to the one that you exposed can be used to decrypt the contents and so there are all kinds of things you can do with this the problem with that is it is excruciatingly math number crunchy intensive just to do a little bit of encryption with asymmetric with an asymmetric cipher so so nobody uses an asymmetric cipher for bulk encryption you you just can't so what instead they do is they use the asymmetric cipher which is so time consuming just to encrypt the key that is a symmetric cipher key so you use the the time-consuming but very powerful public key crypto to encrypt the private key and and I mean I'm sorry to encrypt the symmetric key and then you use a symmetric cipher which runs really fast um, and, and so so really you 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 still depend upon both but the symmetric cipher performance is super high but that's really what we're depending upon. So if there's like a, a blob of data, like, you know, for example, we were talking about Jungle Disk. Um, Jungle, Jungle Disk uses Rindall, the Rindall cipher, to encrypt all of the data that it sends up to Amazon's S3 servers when you give it a key that you want to use. So there's all that bulk data sitting there, and it is the strength of the symmetric cipher which is protecting it. The fact that there just is no practical way to decrypt it. So, um, so for example, uh, well, okay. So there's why symmetric ciphers are cool. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You started to get into it. Let's I started to get into it. It's like, Whoa, hold on. Dial back. I just want to know what it was and why we use them. All right. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we're going to talk about symmetric ciphers in just a bit. But before we do, I do want to mention our uh, sponsor because they've been with us uh, all through 2007, much of 2006. And now, yes, they're back for 2008. I want to thank Astaro for their great support uh, of security now. The Astaro Security Gateway is the ultimate security device. Uh, it's it's one unit, a device that looks just like a router. Uh of course, it's a little more bulletproof, solid steel and so forth. But it also integrates inside a complete set of security technologies, a mix of best of breed, open source and commercial software covering everything you need, everything you'd want from a UTM. Of course, you get intrusion protection and a firewall, but you also get three kinds of e- uh, antivirus, two for email, one for the web. You get anti phishing. You get uh, content filtering, of course, and control over what you're users are doing like instant messaging and peer-to-peer but then you get some stuff that's really interesting that's kind of a, unique to a star for instance transparent built-in encryption open uh, pgp or s mimes so that that happens in the in the gateway not at the desktop all of your incoming and outgoing mail is encrypted and decrypted automatically transparently signed i mean this is really slick you also get a vpn a very good vpn with the ipsec l2tp over ipsec and ppt tunneling plus v ssl so it's a very simple easy to use once again the focus is on making this simple easy and effective for your users while giving you all the tools you want i mean it's just remarkable um I, look I, the best way to do this is to is to try it yourself and you can get a demo unit in your business call 877 the number 4 a s t a r o that's 877 427 8276 uh, as always, non-commercial users, because it's open stuff, uh, open source, can can get um, their Astaro by either going to VMware and downloading the Astaro appliance, which gives you the full thing on your own PC, or you can even download it and build your own gateway. You provide the hardware. Astaro gives you the software free. That's astaro.com slash security now. Free for non-commercial users. Uh, and it includes the Astaro up to date and, uh, all, you know, and all the antivirus stuff. The stuff they used to charge for is now it's all free. They really support open 
uh, software, which is really great. ASTARO.com, 877-4-ASTARO to get a demo unit in your business. We thank Astaro so much for their support of Security Now. So now that we understand what uh, symmetric ciphers are, can you, are you going to, you're going to actually, this now, Steve, before we get started, said, I'm going to understand it so that you understand, I'm going to explain it so that you understand it, Leo. By the end of this show, you will go, oh, that's easy. That's simple. I said, Steve, you're a little ambitious. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're giving me a lot more credit than I deserve. We don't have any errata this week since we've been cranking out shows so fast. There's been no chance for any errata to sneak in. Oh, and I we thought it was just because we were perfect. There's been no chance for any feedback. But I did have one one really nice sort of Christmas story uh, relating to Spinrite that I wanted to share real quickly. Okay, yeah. This was uh, Scott Kiosian. He wrote to us and said, Spinrite equals success was his was a little formula with an equal sign there. He said, Steve, I just wanted to share a Spinrite story. My 12-year-old son came to me Saturday evening with his laptop, parens, my old laptop, a Dell Inspiron 8600 uh-huh. that would no longer boot. On boot, it would blue screen, saying that the primary partition was unmountable due to errors. <sighs> I had, he says, I had purchased Spinrite a couple of months previous to fix another machine. But it turned out the issue with that machine was with the main board on the machine, so I was unable to really put Spinrite to the test. Anyway, I went ahead and popped the disk into my son's computer and let it run overnight. When I came back the next morning, I rebooted the machine, and all was well again. While my son doesn't keep anything irreplaceable on the machine, having to rebuild his machine from scratch would have been a four- to six-hour ordeal. My time is definitely worth more than the $89 I spent on Spinrite. And just having to rebuild that machine would have ruined my whole weekend. I was very glad to have access to Spinrite and that it worked so well. Thanks, signed Scott. Oh, isn't that great? So, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I have to say, you know, all these all these testimonials and, and feedback that we receive about Spinrite, it's, it's so often about machines that no longer boot because – the system just keeps on going until it finally collapses it can't, to the point yeah, that I, it just can't get going. It can't anymore. go on. And that's it's sad because people really don't they defer everything. And it's like with the house or anything else. You defer maintenance on your car until it stops running. And then you that's, go, uh That's exactly right. I mean, I and again, it's I know it's you know, it's spin rights eighty nine dollars is not something that, you know, is uh people think of as like, Oh, oh look, I got an extra eighty nine dollars, but but the fact is, if Spinrite were used prior to systems finally collapsing to this level where they just blue screen, then these problems would be prevented. Yeah. So, you know, for what it's worth. Well, um, I think people look at 89 bucks and they say, well, I can get a new hard drive for that. And then they forget. It's not, we're not talking about the hard drive. We're talking about your data. Precisely. And, yeah. and, and, and the, the point Scott makes is, is a good one, too. I mean, I, I sort of enjoy setting up machines because it's like, OK, you know, it's it's interesting for me. But I find myself now trying to do multiple things at once, like, you know, because it takes so long to get Windows XP installed and then update all the patches and, and get it going and then tuned and load your apps and get them registered and, and all that. And it's like, OK, really, what's your time worth? Yeah, exactly. What's your data worth? Yep, that too. Yep. All right. So, so, oh. so you're right. Here's the goal that that I have for our <laughs> listeners and for you. Um, symmetric ciphers are incredibly cool, and I realized I have a really much better handle on the internals of them as, as a consequence of having written some, implemented some mm-hmm. that, of course, been designed by crypto geniuses. And I'm not a crypto designer, but I've implemented the actual code. So what, and, how do you do that? Do you is there a spec? Do you work from an, uh, an algorithm list? I mean, um, I'm actually in this episode. We're going to understand the new AES standard, Rindahl. I I can explain what's inside so that afterwards people are going to be going oh is that all it that that's all there is and that's so (laughs) bulletproof and strong and amazing it's like yes i mean it it turns out it's not that hard you know when when and it can be explained in a way that's that's pretty simple but i want to also in the process i want to answer the question that 
that so many people had. I mean, it's amazing. Here's I, I'm I'm looking at another that I was going to sort of use as an intro to this. Um, Ad, uh, Adam in Ottawa, Ontario. He said, "Steve, I've been a listener for a long time, and as a graduate from a computer science program with an interest in security, I enjoy listening to the show." In the past, I've disagreed with you on some topics, but never so much that I felt compelled to write in. Now I am. Uh-oh. Last week, episode 120, so it was last week for him when he sent this, you answered a question about whether encrypting something twice was more secure than encrypting it just once. You said that it was, but I'm not so sure. If good encryption maps plain text, something intelligible, to something completely random using a key. Wouldn't mapping plain text to random, then to random again, be the same as just mapping to random once using a different key? And of course, that's what everyone has thought. I mean, so many people have thought this. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm jazzed the fact that people are taking the time to think about this and scratch their heads and write in and tell me that they think I'm wrong. That would just totally cool. And so he, he goes on. He says, what I mean is if I use key K1 to encrypt my plain text to something random, then use K, key K2 to encrypt that into something random again, isn't that the same as using some unknown key K3 to encrypt my plain text just once? And then he goes on to more details, but we understand that this is, I mean, this is really what, what, people have been talking about and i want to explain why this is why it's not the case and in the process um what i was trying to explain when i got us all mumble jumbled up in that two to the power 128 factorial stuff so so they think they just think and i guess this is reasonable that uh instead of two keys there must just be one magic key that would take the 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 scramble the final scrambled version back all the way back to text Correct. And I don't know. I'm not sure why they uh, assume that. I'm not sure I would leap to that, but I, I guess it makes sense. Well, OK, here's we uh, it's a really uh, to answer that particular question. It's a matter of scale. So let's let's instead of talking about Rheindahl, that is a 128 bit block cipher with a 256 bit key. Let's let's create a, a dumb, simple little cipher okay. that's much easier to talk about. Perfect for me. So, okay. So, uh, no, this simple is simple little this host. Is, this is the romper room cipher. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's it's just four bits. Okay. That is, it, it takes four bits at a time, and it encrypts it into different into a different four bits, and it has a one byte key. Okay. So an eight bit key. So so it's similar to what we were talking about in as much as, you know, the the the, the Rheindahl cipher, for example, that perfect paper passwords uses and it is used often is a hundred and twenty eight bit block with a two fifty six bit key. So the key is twice as long as the block that it that, that you encipher each time. So we've got that. We've got four, now in the romper room cipher, we've got a four bit block that's controlled by a 256 I'm sorry to by a by a an 8-bit key okay so first of all um, we if we have if we're going to encrypt a 4-bit block we're going to take four binary bits which we know has 16 possible combinations you know you can have you know 0000 1000 and so on until you get 1111 so there's 16 combination 16 possible combinations of four binary bits the this little romper room cipher we will take any four that of of those bits we put in and translate them to a different four bits out under the influence of this key so okay now the problem there's several problems with the romper room cipher I mean, it, no matter how good the cipher is, the problems are that there just aren't enough bits. That is to say, um, if you if you didn't know what the key was and you didn't really even care what the key was, you wanted to, to just to to like map the cipher. All you would have to do 
would be if you had access to the to the plain text that is what's not encrypted and, and many times people do have access for example you could encrypt your own data through the cipher and then and get out the cipher text well since there's only 16 combinations of four bits you can just write down you can create a little table right you just write down okay zero 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 turn is turned into you know zero one zero zero uh zero 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 one is turned into that is there's only since there's only four bits there's only 16 possible inputs and so it's easy to create a table of the 16 corresponding outputs right. you don't even have to you don't have to care what the key is you don't have to even look at it because you're able to just build you know write down the the what what the cipher does and obviously looking at that table you could then take other encrypted text and decrypt it you just use the table backwards it'd be like a transposition cipher where you'd have an alphabet and you'd say a equals z b equals a C equals ah, B. That's a very good point because um, it's what a transposition cipher that you're just mentioning. That would be adding a constant to each ah, of them. It's not as random. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, for example, if you just added four, you're right that that you know zero would become four, one would become five, two would become six, and so on. And when you get to the end, you wrap around. So this is a little so, better. So it'd be like randomly A equals Z, B equals Y. Uh, C equals F. Exactly. Okay. Now, and, and, okay, and that, that leads me to the, the perfect next question, which is, okay, one of the reasons this thing is dumb, it's the romper room cipher after all, is that there's <laughs> only 16 possibilities. Right. But how many ciphers are possible? That is, how many possible tables remember we just talked about a table where right. we just write down you know we have 16 entries in this table right. with each one of the possible inputs and the corresponding output how many tables could there be well you said and, there was a one byte key so i'm going to guess 256 well exactly now a one byte key going into the cipher as we know eight bits gives us 256 possible combinations right. so the romper room cipher can can be that is, is operates under the influence of a one byte key mm -hmm. as you said leo can have 256 tables but but the question i was asking is a little different and this is this is why it's so important how many possible mappings are there that is we can access 256 of those with the key so we know there's at least 256. Well, we hope there are. Otherwise, some keys would give us the same cipher. So but the question hmm. is, how many possible mappings could there be? So think about it this way. If we put in a zero a a as our first test, we could get out one of 16 possibilities. We could, put, we could get out zero one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up to, six, uh, sorry, zero through 15, which is 16 possibilities. So, so if, so in terms of like the, the possible combinations, we put in zero, this for a given, say that we have a, we have a given cipher. Um, we put in zero, we could get out one of 16. Now we put in one. Well, so it's 16 we, squared. No, oh, that's so what's slow. so cool is <laughs> is we put in one. Now we've we've used up one of our outputs. Okay. For for when when we put in zero, so we've got fifteen left. So that is when we put in one, we could get one of fifteen remaining outputs. Oh, so it's a factorial. There you go. When we put in two, we could get one of 14 remaining outputs uh, outputs because we're consuming one each time. So it is 16 factorial. That makes sense. Okay. So, yeah, so I want everyone I want to make sure everyone gets that. That is the total number of possible ciphers is 16 factorial. 16 times 15 times 14 times 13 times 12 times 11 times 
And exactly. And yeah. so and so as we're doing this, when we get all the way down to putting in the, you know, we, we started at zero. So the last one w- would be 15. We've used up all the others. There's only one left. Right. And because the other ones use it up. That's the n- total number of possible mappings of just four bits into four bits. And what's so counterintuitive, okay, 16 factorial is 20 trillion, <gasps> 922 billion, 789 million, 888,000. Wow. I have it's, no idea. I know. It, I mean, this factorials are huge. So it's, it's two zero nine two two seven eight nine eight 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 zero zero zero. That's the number you get if you just multiply 16 times 15 times 14 times 13 times 12 times <laughs> okay, 11, you can 10, stop. 9, it's 8, not the 12 days of Christmas. We get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so my point is 20 trillion, 922 wow. billion, 789 million, 888,000 possible mappings. Now, how many of those can we access? 256. Ah, right. So, that's, so, so we so need a bigger is, key. <laughs> Well, exactly. So, so my point is that they, the, even though it's counterintuitive, you don't, it doesn't, until it hits you, the size of these numbers, it's like, wait a minute, I'll just find the key that gives you the mapping that I want. Well, good luck. Because, <laughs> and my point is, there, the most of the mappings are not available. They're not available. If, you only get a few. With just four bits, if there's 20 trillion plus possible mappings, but with an 8-bit key, we can only get to 256 of them. Right. Okay, so what that means is now let's, let, let's stop here and now switch to Reindahl. Let me tell you, Leo, it was hard to get to, to find out what the factorial would be for 2 to the 128. So remember, with real Rheindahl, with a real cipher, not the romper room cipher, but with a real cipher, we don't have 16 bits. We've got 128 bits. Wow. Okay. So we're talking about the total, what, what, what we're looking at, remember, is, is the, the reason we were doing on the romper room cipher 16 was it was 2 to the power of 4. Right. 2 to the power of 4, and then you take that. And you take the factorial of that. So 2 to the 4, of course, is 16. That's why we were doing 16 factorial. We know that's 20 trillion. Okay, so that means that the number of possible mappings on a real cipher, an industrial strength cipher like Rheindahl with 128 bits, is 2 to the 128th power. You take that and do the factorial of it. (laughs) Okay. Big Big number. Leo, I found a some math genius somewhere on the internet who she spent her whole life like coming up with cool ways to do factorials. I have the size of that number thanks oh, to her. Wow. It is it is um okay, it is a number. I can't even say the number. It's not I don't think there's there's a possibility to say it. It is a number with one thousand two hundred and ninety six billion 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 <laughs> digits <laughs> digits digits <laughs> okay twelve it's 12, a big number twelve hundred and ninety six billion 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 digits that's how many possible i've never mappings. heard of such a big number that's 10 there, no 10 to this the, is the biggest cheese this is the biggest number that's ever been written. It blew up three computers when I was trying. <laughs> when I, when I was, <laughs> no. And so, so this is what I understood, but I didn't explain it properly a couple of weeks ago. That is, that's the number of possible mappings that a, that a 128-bit block symmetric cipher could have is a number that has... 1,296 billion, 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 billion digits. Now, you only get to pick from a subset of that, though, because of the key size. And that's exactly my point. And that is, 
Okay, so so Rheindahl can operate at different key lengths. It has a, a it, you can use it with a 128 bit key, um, um, a a 192 or 196. I can't think of which is the six. Yeah, and then 256, and then yes, yeah. So okay, so a number like two to the 256 is the number of keys that Rheindahl can have. Now that's a big number. Also, but it's not anywhere nearly right, as big. Right. Um, I'm looking at it here, and it's uh, um, no. I mean, how I, are the I, keys I, selected from the superset? How? I, well, that's what we're about to do. Um, that's the next part of this podcast: is how does Rindal itself actually work? Right. But what what I wanted to explain was that two to the fifty six is not a huge number. I mean, it's it's a big number, and and it needs to be big because if we look back at the at the romper room cipher, the other problem with it, not only was there a problem, the block length was too short. It was only four bits. So we could simply write down a table to figure out all the mappings. Um, but it, it, the romper room cipher used a one byte key which, as you've pointed out, there are only 256 of them, which means the other way to crack the cipher, if you didn't want to just, if you, for example, if you had no access to the plain text, okay? Re- remember that if we had the plain text, we could just run it through that, that the romper room cipher, not caring what the key is, and create a simple little 16-line um, table that shows all the mappings. Well, you cannot do that with a with a 128 bit cipher right, right. because it's got two to the 128 bit possible combinations. The big table, yeah. Big table, yeah. And and so in fact that that's even why it, it's that that's that's why short block length ciphers like like DES the prior standard was a 64 bit cipher and. And so it would it, it would encipher 64 bits at a time. Well, that's strong, but it turns out that that people like the EFF, the EFF created a, a a blob of hardware that was able to crack DES any given instance of DES um, in a day or two. You could map a table two to 64. Yeah, you wouldn't want big. to. I mean, that's yeah, still a computer. A, lot. a computer could do it though. Um, big computers. Oh, yeah. certainly, there's enough data around on the internet to to do that. But it's still it's still you know, it's it's big, but it's not too big. Right. But just remember, when we double the bit length, we're not doubling the table size. We're squaring the table right. size. Right. So two to the one twenty eight is you cannot do a table that's that big. Right. Okay. So, uh, in fact, it is. Uh, do I have it in front of me? It's roughly three times ten to the thirty eight. <laughs> that that would be the length of the table. So that would be three. And well, three and 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 thirty nine, or a total of thirty nine digits. So that's a it's a really long number. So, um, but the but the the problem with the romper room cipher with an eight bit key was a brute force attack. We've talked about that a lot before. If you only had the ciphered text and it was all gibberish, you could you could try using key zero. Then key one, then key two. Well, you only got 256 of them, so in a short time, you could figure out what that was. In fact, that's the same key length, if you want to call it that, used on the wireless keyboards that we talked about. Hmm. There's only 256 possible bytes that could be XORed with the keystroke data, so it's trivial to try them all. So that's the problem with the romper room cipher is the key is too small, and that was the problem with DES was that the DES key was only 56 bits. And so that was like way too small because, you know, equipment really got much faster, much more quickly. And DES just, it just ran out of steam because the key wasn't long enough to prevent a brute force attack. So, so Rheindahl that runs with 128 bit key minimum or 196 or 256 those keys are so big that it's just it's absolutely impractical to try them all to you know which is the way a brute force attack works so okay so i just wanted to to put the to rest this or, or to give people a sense 
for the 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 size of the total number of possible mappings that a symmet- a symmetric block cipher offers. So we've got that. Now let's talk about how Rindall works. That is, it, you know, we've in up to this point in all of our podcasts, we've talked about this as a black box. It's a black box, and and and, and that's true of all of these ciphers. Although we have explained, for example, the inner workings of of public key crypto. Remember, we talked about exponentiation and how it's possible to do an exact exponentiation, but incredibly time-consuming to reverse that, to do an exact logarithm in order to, 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 to reverse that. And public key crypto uses the fact that it's a so-called one-way function, or at least one way easy, the other way really, really hard, and no one's ever figured out how to do that. And, and prime factorization is the other thing. It's, very, it's trivial to multiply two big primes it turns out that if you don't know what they are and you've got the, the you only have the, the 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 product of two primes, it's incredibly time consuming to go the other direction to to do a prime factorization uh, of that number. So so public key crypto uses the concept that's that, that it's easy to go one way but not the other in order to to create its security. So but in terms of of a symmetric block cipher, we've never looked inside one, and that's what we're going to do for the rest of this podcast: is understand how Rindall functions. That is actually how does it encrypt data. And what's a little distressing is that it's really not that complex. Um, it uh, all of these symmetric ciphers use the, the the notion of of a round that is they're they're iterative you put data in and they do something to it a number of times and and the strength of the cipher is is based on how good what you do to it is and how many times you do it because um the 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 basically it's making it much more difficult for anyone on the outside of this black box, which is what a a, a, cryptana- a cryptanalysis is. It's it's like trying to figure out something about this that will find some weakness in it. Mm-hmm. Rindall won in the competition because it was very clear and a very clean algorithm. The designers were able to explain every aspect of it. And and why they made the decisions they did, and they they deliberately designed it to be to be efficient on eight bit processors, which are the very slow and un, low power processors, for example, used in smart cards. Mm. So they want they wanted a cipher that that would you could express the algorithm efficiently in an 8-bit processor. So so things needed to be able to be done um, easily with just 8 bits. And they also wanted it to be fast on 32-bit architectures. So that is, you know, the architectures of the day. So so what happens is it, it starts with the key. We, we take the key and there's something called... Um, uh, the key schedule in 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 symmetric ciphers, a key schedule is the algorithm used to expand the size of the key to create much more material which will be used throughout the encryption process. So the idea is essentially you have a bunch of 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 carefully chosen random data. And the key is used mixed with and to select from that from a pool of random data. And this is this is it's it's random, but it's always the same. So that part of the specification of the Rindall cipher and many similar ciphers is is blocks of data that you look at it's like, okay, I hope I don't have a typo in here anywhere, because you've got to get it exactly right. So the key is through an algorithm that is specified 
is mixed with this random data in order to create a much longer, essentially, it's like an internal key. It's called key expansion. The, the way Rindahl works is that the block length, for example, is, is th there are various block lengths of Rindahl. You can actually implement Rindahl in a block length that's any multiple of 32 bits. But the, the standard that was chosen is 128 bits because that's enough. And there, you could make a 256-bit block Rindahl, but it's like, okay, 128 is already so many in terms of the number of combinations. There just isn't a practical need to go any further. So, so the standard was set at 128-bit block length. The, the way Rindahl works is the key is expanded to a length, which is a multiple of the block length. And there are the, the this expanded key is uh, different pieces of it are used for each of the internal cycles or rounds of, of the cipher. So say that we had a cipher with 14 rounds. That is, we, we were using Rindahl with 14 rounds, which is the number of internal cycles Rindahl uses if you use a 256-bit key and, a, and the standard 128-bit block. If you use a half-size key that is a 128-bit key and a 128-bit block, then you only need 10 rounds. For a longer key, you need more in order to get the, the equivalent protection. So, so the 256-bit the key Rindahl uses 14 rounds. It uses one more set of, of key material than rounds. That is to say, so 15 sets of key material. So the key expansion expands this 256-bit key that we give it to 15 sets of 128 bits. So we've got 15, uh, essentially 15 block widths of stuff, which is created using this, this pool of randomness that is part of the cipher. So the, the data comes in from the outside of the cipher, and it's XORed with the first of this 128 bits that was derived from the key, just a simple XOR operation. Then it goes through a, 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 a process of mixing the data, which is, is essentially three different steps. There's a thing called an S box, which is commonly used in, in crypto, that takes a byte in and maps it to a byte out. That's all it is. It's a, it's a 256 entry lookup table called an S box. And so the bytes of the, of the cipher that come from the XOR, each byte goes through this standard lookup table, and there's only one of them, and it's always the same. So that doesn't change. It just maps one byte in to one byte out. Then the, the, the way to visualize uh, the way Rindahl works is if you take the 32, um, I'm sorry, you take the 128-bit block and you put it into a grid of bytes so that you've got four bytes down and four bytes across. So you've got a, a four by four grid of bytes. Then the next thing that happens is that the rows are of this grid are shifted um, and each row is shifted a different amount of, of bytes over. So again, first of all, we got we have a byte translation table. Then we're just shifting bytes around. Then the final thing is that the columns of this four by four grid of bytes, they're mixed um, within themselves. That is, so, so a column of four bytes is going to be 32 bits. That's mixed with a, a matrix multiplication, which implements a polynomial, which only has the factors of 0, 1, 2, and 3, because it's easy to multiply by 0, 1, 2, and 3. Well, obviously, multiplying by 1 does nothing. Multiplying by 2 is just a shift operation in binary, and multiplying by three is just you shift and then you add the original in, so you've got two plus one is three. 
So they, the, the, the designers of, of Rheindahl carefully chose these things to be easy to do. Okay, now that's all there is in Rheindahl. That is, you do the XOR, then you do the lookup table, you shift the rows over, and you mix the columns, and you do that 14 times, and you're done. Hmm. And it turns out that, that there are attacks that have been found on so-called reduced rounds versions of Rheindahl. That is, if you, for example, only ran through that process five or six times, it turns out that there, there, the things are not yet mixed up enough that it's not possible to find, like, like by analyzing just from the outside, that it's still possible to, to, to like determine some bits of the key because things haven't been obscured sufficiently. So, so, and in fact, that's exactly why the the they chose ten rounds. They added four rounds to six, where six was was the last point at which any weakness could be found, because from a crypto standpoint, they understood what each round did, and two rounds was enough to to create bit dependencies that couldn't be tracked. So they they added they they thought of it as that. That that six rounds with two ahead and two before uh, two afterwards to give them a total of ten and and they were able to demonstrate that that is extremely conservative and absolutely safe. Cool. And then, if you think about it, they've 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 essentially they've they've XORed a chunk of of this internal key for each round. So as, as, as the data goes through, it then XORs the next 128 bits. Then it runs through this simple process of, 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 of byte mapping, shifting, and mixing the rows and columns. Then it XORs the next chunk of, of the internal key and does it again. The next chunk does it again. Well, that process is reversible. That is everything, and, and of course, that you have to have reversibility because that's where you get decryption. There's no like magic other way to decrypt it. Literally, decryption is just running Rheindahl in reverse. And this is the I way. I think that's met- that's where people got the idea that you could kind of skip if you did it doubly. You could just yes, because it's reversible. Yes, and so like and an so, XOR. So well, yeah, exactly. But it's it's reversible. The the reason you 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 cannot simply say i'm going to use one key and encrypt and another key and encrypt and there's a third key somewhere that's equivalent is this is the key space i mean we we were talking about that it is that that key the the number of possible mappings that this thi- that right. that simple process <laughs> produces is that thing with 1,296 billion, billion, and, billion, and you have billion no way of digits. knowing which one it was. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 remember too that the key we have a much, much, much smaller key space. That is the total number of keys two to the 256. Even though that's a big number. I mean, it's so big we can't. It, I mean, it's it's strong against brute force because brute force means trying them all. Well. The fact is, and and unfortunately, I'm not enough of a cryptographer to be able to state this definitively. That is that there there is no third key that is equivalent to the first two, but it is phenomenally unlikely because, and, and there may be a way of demonstrating and proving definitively that there is no third key that is equivalent to the first two, but just in terms of the of the number of possible mappings you would it would have to be that your that, that two keys selected two mappings such that there happened to be another one that that a key could select and that's the point i'm trying to make is that 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 hypothetical third mapping would have to be available Right. By some Rheindahl key, and it's pretty pretty point, low chance that it would be given the size of the 
Precisely. The size of the total number of possible mappings that a 128-bit cipher can have. I mean, it's just it's just so ridiculously small. Right. And as you said, Leo, you'd still have to find it. And you can't find it because 2 to the 56 is a massively large number that's completely infeasible to brute force. So essentially, you know, this is how Rindall works. It's internally, it's not complex. It's pretty simple to implement. They designed it to be easy enough that an 8-bit processor running on a smart card would be able to do it and to be very fast on 32-bit machines. Um, and it's, it's essentially, it owes its strength to the fact that it's a bunch of simple operations where each cycle does a good job of mixing stuff up. And when you do it 14 times, it's so mixed up <laughs> that no analysis from the outside can figure out where the bits went when they went inside. They just got all scrambled around and all <laughs> interdependent in a way right. that nobody can figure out from the outside. Very clever. So the fact is, the original question that was asked back on episode 120 <laughs> was, you know, if I encrypted twice, isn't with different keys, isn't that better than once? And it's absolutely the case that it is. Because remember that the somebody would be looking at the output from the second encryption, looking and the and the only attack is a brute force attack, trying keys, you know, like a dictionary attack, and they would be looking for to get plain text out of the decryption. But the plain text out of the second encryption is the encryption from the first, which means there is never going to be any plain text. And as we've seen, the key spaces are such that there's just no chance another one of those key, I mean, virtually no chance, another one of those keys is going to magically perform the double encryption for you. That's just, it's just not, you know, you have no access to the total number of mappings that are possible through 128-bit block cipher it's a numbers game it's just too vast a universe and really that's all crypto is crypto is just a numbers game i mean as we saw the the um the romper room cipher you, that uses four bit block size and 128 bit key it's trivial because the numbers there just aren't enough of them right. you know it's a nice cipher i like it we were able to explain how it works but you know it's just it's not useful because there aren't enough bits to make it you know, non-trivial. Right. But as soon as you start increasing the width of the cipher, um, then and, and there are, you know, two to that many bits factorial possible mappings. Wow. It just goes out the window. Wow. Well, I, you know what? I didn't think you could do it, but even my thick skull kind of gets it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm looking here at equations. It's not that complicated, actually. It's, it's really not. It's, and that's all that's going on in what has now been the, you know, it's the universal standard. This is what everyone's using. Europe is apparently uh, has has adopted it as as we have here as our as our you know, new the new federal computing cipher. We it's it was all done in an academic environment. Um, it's been implemented all over the place in lots of different languages. I mean, well, the 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 PPP system. Uh, uses Rindall, and it's been you know we on, on our software page. It's in virtually every language, so it's right. completely available because it's just not that hard to do. Now, when you, well, okay, I'm going to ask a question about public key cryptography and how that's different from symmetric key in just a second. And I know that's a sub, another subject, but I just want to understand that. Before I do, though, I want to mention nerds on site because this is the kind of stuff you can learn from their University of Nerdology. If you're in the IT business, uh, an enterprise nerd or on your own doing desktop support or even on-site support or home and residential and uh, Soho services, you should know about Nerds On Site. Nerds On Site helps you with your business. You, the idea is you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. You focus on the stuff you love. Nerds On Site helps you get the job done and make more money. Plus, keep your skills up. So if you're a PC or a Mac expert, Cisco or Oracle, you name it, they need it. They need more nerds, fix-it technicians. They need website designers. They need programmers, project managers. They even need nerds in sales, uh, trainers, people who are security experts, antivirus gurus, and they really love those nerds 
who like to take apart and troubleshoot their own machines in their own spare time, because that means you love this stuff. And that's what they love. Excuse me. That's what they love. And they want to be part of that. So if you want to be part of Nerds on Sight, and by the way, all over the world, Canada, U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, Singapore, all over the world, all you have to do is go to a Nerds on Sight the Nerds on Site website and register for a nerds only meeting in your area today. It's I want to be a nerd dot com. I want to be a nerd dot com. I'm really also happy to say that Nerds on Site is uh, is uh, uses the uh, Astaro gateways that we talked about. They are official uh, distributor of the Astaro gateways. Uh, and you can even get your certified Astaro um, stuff from the Nerds University of Nerdology. So just this is just a great thing. If you want to know more, visit the website I want to be a nerd.com and not as I said, enterprise nerds, you too want to hear from you. I want to be a nerd.com and we thank Nerds on Site so much for their support for Security Now in the new year 2008. All right, so I gave you a little time cuz I know I gave you a tough one. <laughs> okay symmetric well, uh, versus public key yes what what it okay or or really the way to say it is symmetric versus asymmetric that is non-symmetric what it is that is symmetric that is the symmetricness is that the same key is used to encrypt as decrypt right and we just saw why because lord knows you know who knows what other key could possibly provide a reverse mapping? Good no point. one is going to. No one is going to come up with a key that's going to undo that nightmare of 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 scrambling and and shifting and mixing, you know, over and over and over fourteen times. So so you use exactly the same key. You expand the that key to the internal key material, and basically you run Rindall in reverse in order to step-by-step unscramble the data that was put in in order, to, um, in order to get back out what the encryption had put into but the, it. And that's the, 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 only, that's the only way to go, to, you know, to, like to decrypt it is to run it backwards. But the, the negative of that is that both you and the person receiving the uh, cipher have to have the key. So you have this difficulty of getting them the key. Yes, exactly. I mean, and, and, and that's why it's regarded as a so-called like a secret key approach is that anybody who has the key that was used to encrypt it is able to decrypt it. Uh, so, yeah. w- so what's different about an asymmetric cipher and the, the asymmetry is the keys. One key encrypts and that key cannot be used to decrypt so I mean it literally it's a it's a one way function of encryption and and then only the matching the, the the key that was made with along with the with the encryption key comes a decryption key although people who have really been paying attention will remember that there's no difference between them except that one is one and one is the other meaning that you produce a key pair one one will undo what the other does but that that one can't undo what it does, nor can the other undo what it does. And so that's great because you can publish your public key and anybody can send an encrypted message to you, but nobody can decrypt it except you. Uh, is it less strong then as a result? Well, yes, the algorithms fundamentally function differently. So, for example, public keys where we were talking about 128 bits being all the strength you would ever need, public keys need to be. 1024 bits mm. in order to have the equivalent strength and now there are 2048 bit public keys again because because the nature of the algorithm is such that there are different attacks on them so to have for example a 128 bit symmetric key is about equivalent to a thousand bit asymmetric key and it that's part of the reason that the that the that the process of using them is so slow is there's just a much, much more work needing to be done for public key crypto. And it's just, it's absolutely infeasible to use it for encrypting like, you know, a whole file. And so people don't, what they do is they will choose, they'll get a very good random number and they use that as a symmetric key to encrypt the file. 
Then they use the the public key cryptography, that is to say an asymmetric cipher, to encrypt that random number. So so then you you all you have to do is give that random number which has been encrypted and this blob which is the file, you give that to someone. If they have the matching decryption key, they will take the random number which has been encrypted with the public key, decrypt it into the actual symmetric key which was used with a, with a bulk encryption algorithm like Rindahl to encrypt the blob, and then they decrypt it. Mm-hmm. Got it. And there you go. So that's why symmetric is used and is necessary for every kind of encryption. Yes, exactly. You will always have that, and it's why I really thought it would be fun to kick off the new year by explaining exactly how Rindahl, which is now, you know, everyone's going to see it around. You know, the um, it's what it's what Jungle Disk uses for its encryption. It's what you know. We talked about that Ozmith program last yeah, week. Right, the the right. cute little standalone. It's got um, a bunch of of crypto in it. You can choose, I think, Two Fish and Blowfish and 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 some others. And Rindahl is also there. Is, is, so Rindahl has replaced Triple Des and all of these others. It's kind of the one everybody's using. Well, yes, and in fact, uh, uh, tri- triple des, you know, tr- triple des. That's another example of where multiple encryption is good because that's all triple des is. Oh, yes, take- the sixty-four bit des encryption done three times. Exactly. You take yeah. a, you, because a, because fifty-six bits was not enough. You take you you use a key which is three times fifty-six bits, uh-huh. and and you use the first third and encrypt something. Then you use the second third and encrypt it again with with DES, and then you use a third, you the third third encrypted a third time, and by the time that sixty four bits comes out, it is really confused. <laughs> and but but that's a way of giving you the equivalent of a much larger key length is just by multiple symmetric encrypting with different keys, which is really just what that guy back in episode one twenty asked us. That's what he was doing. So that's interesting. So, because uh, Rindahl seems to me a little newer than the others that I've known about, like Blowfish and uh, and Des and Triple Des. Um, yeah, well, it, it is certainly it is certainly um, it is newer. It uses you know the, a state of the art understanding of crypto and 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 attacks on crypto. One of the other cool things there there's an attack known as a side channel attack, um, and that is that some crypto algorithms give away information about what they're doing inside based on their power consumption or the time oh, wow. it takes, oh, wow. you know, so, so somebody who's really, tr- you know, seriously about attacking, you know, this is all NSA sort of stuff. They can look at variations in the power consumed by the processor du- du- during encryption in, and that will reveal bits of the key or because because many many ciphers do different things based on what the key is. So again, the guys who did Rindahl said, "Okay, we're aware of side channel attacks. We're going to make what Rindahl does not key dependent." And so what's so cool is the only thing and this is what's sort of mind-boggling is the only thing that the key is used for is those is is producing that expanded um, uh, set of blocks of key material, which is XORed for every round. That that the, all that internal stuff, that X box, the shifting of the rows, the mixing of the columns, that never changes. That's not dependent upon the key. And so Rindahl was designed not to give away any information by someone looking at it. That is to say. Its timing never changes, and its power doesn't change because the key is only used for XORing the data as it comes out of each cycle of round. It's never used to, like, go down different crypto pathways. Hmm. Very interesting. It's like it's like all you need, and believe right. me, I'm, I'll, I'll be using it a lot in the future. And obviously easy to implement uh, because it's, I mean, it's just so simple. Yes, exactly. It's very straightforward, you yeah. know, and and it's it's one of the things that that makes it a modern cipher is there's there's like nothing screwy where it you know yeah remember the the old uh, the old cartoon with with some guy I guess it was Einstein who was like working on why, how E equals M C squared and he comes to the end and he's scratching his head and he says 
And then a miracle happened. <laughs> and you there know, you go. And now you, you have it. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have, well, there's, Reindahl has no miracles. It's just really simple, straightforward. And every step of the way, these guys were able to say, this is why we chose this polynomial. This is why we chose this S box. Right. This is why we're shifting the rows this way. And, and the result is a really, really strong um, scrambling of bits, a, a mapping between all these possible input um, bit combinations and output. That's neat. Very cool. Well, I'm glad, you know, I have to say, I, I enjoy these shows where you really explain stuff so much, and we've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. So uh, I'm glad uh, we could do this, and I hope we'll do more of these where the basic technology, I guess what happened is early on, we just, we'd kind of covered all these basic technologies. And so we didn't need to go back and do more, but uh, but I love this, and I just I love learning how all this stuff works, and you're very good at explaining it. I love explaining. Yep. If you uh, want more, including uh, transcripts of this show or any of our 125 episodes or 16 kilobit versions, Steve keeps those on his site, grc.com/slash/security. Now it's a great place to go because not only can you get all the information, the show notes, and everything. Uh, you can also get Steve's free, and there are many of them, security utilities. You can use Shields Up to test your router, unplug and pray to turn off plug and play, decombobulator, shoot the messenger. Uh, that's where he keeps his perfect paper password algorithms, all the different versions of that. And, and the forums, too, where you can contribute and even submit your questions at uh, grc.com slash feedback. But don't forget, that's also where you'll find Spinrite, the world's best, everybody's favorite, my favorite hard drive maintenance and recovery utility grc.com and I do gonna- want to I do want to remind everyone please do not use the romper room cipher that, just, <laughs> that would be bad that was presented for demonstration purposes only <laughs> you know it probably worked though if uh, if your kid brother is not too swift but other than that <laughs> thank you miss nancy uh, Steve will talk again next week with lots more stuff and as we uh, said we're going to start covering some security news starting uh, next week as well absolutely keep you up to date on what's going on uh, in the security world um, thanks Steve have a happy new year and uh, we'll see you next week bye security now